You're listening to Chum Chat Podcast. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Welcome to the first episode of Chum Chat Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. you made it. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Finally, I'm beginning this journey of the podcast series. Um, yeah. If you're watching or listening, thank you for joining and thank, thank you. you for supporting. Follow me on Instagram, YouTube, all of the social things. Anyway, <laughs> Chum Chat is all about inviting my friends and family that inspire me, motivate me, educate me, and make me a better person. And today, first episode, I'm happy to say I've got Chantel Senior with me. Everybody, let's give a round of applause. Thank you, thank you. Um, How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm yeah. great. How are you? How is this new experience for you? Um, I mean, it's my first ever podcast, so it's it's a yeah, it's a new experience, but it's good. I'm, it's I'm nice. enjoying it. Yeah, it's nice. I love just sort of coming yeah. to the mic. So it's ASMR with the it's, it's, yeah, it's all with fun. the acrylic. <laughs> yeah. um, I want to thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me. Because it means a lot. Because we're talking about some serious things here. First of all, I'm very proud of you. Oh, thank you. I don't know how many times I said first of all. This might be the fifth of all. Anyway, um, I'm super proud of you. Thank you. Writing what you're writing. Thank you're an amazing you. writer. Thank you. Um, but we'll get more into that. Yes. Soon. Do you want to do a little intro for yourself? Just little, I would little love little to. Yes. Um, hello, everyone. Um, hi. Uh, my name is Chantal Senya. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. Um, and I'm a proud black British woman from Cambridge. Um yeah, that's about it, really. Um, I love to write. I am a social activist. Um, yeah, that's that's mainly it, really. <laughs> that's it. That's a lot. Yeah, I guess. That's more than enough. <laughs> um, wicked. So let's talk about your writing. How long, oh, have you, cool. how long have you been freelance writer? Is that, is that what you'd call yourself? I wouldn't say that. I usually say... I like to sort of say that it's um, like social commentary because yeah. um, I, I tend to sort of um, write when like an event has really happened mainly mm. or if something sort of you know inspired me or provoked me yeah. Um, so yeah I guess if you want to call it that you can I, okay, I, cool. I, I presume but um, yeah so you write it? yeah you write when you're feeling passionate about, yeah. to write about something yeah um, it's quite impassioned I mean my activism is quite impassioned anyway so um yeah, but it's it's very much usually after an event or um, if things just sort of come into me or and yeah an idea that sort of pops up or if I think that something that hasn't been raised in discussion yeah. needs to be raised, so I, I would do that. That's brilliant. Um, when did it first start then? Was it an event or? So funnily enough, or well not funnily enough, my writing began actually after the murder of George Floyd. Yeah. Um, so of course, as we all know, the murder of George Floyd was absolutely um, shocking, and that's not even the right word to sort of use for it. Um, you know, to see someone's death and in such a explicit way mm. um, to have it plastered across all social media platforms to have that you know the first image that pops up on your social media feed for quite some time as, yeah. as a black woman was quite scarring mm. um, but in saying that um, again even with what how I describe it, it it's nothing beyond the actual impact of the event itself and I think that means that needs to be sorry very clear when discussing um, the murder of George Floyd mm. but um yeah, it, it it stemmed from that. And I remember, unfortunately, seeing the video and seeing the backlash um, and seeing some, some people actually had the audacity to justify the murder of George Floyd. And after that, it just sort of, it hit me. That was ridiculous, though, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. 
I will like when it all myself. came out, okay, like that's it for these police officers. That is it. Like they're yeah. done. All, all of them. Was it three or four? Four. Four. They're all done. Yeah. Not just the guy that yeah. like they're all that. Their job is to protect the people yeah. of America, and they've just killed someone. Like, do you know what I mean? Um, it's but, the blatant. It's the blatant misuse of their own privilege as officers it's the blatant misuse of the social system that they're there to defend and protect it's the fact that they knew that because of their uniform even though that they were on camera that they could get away with doing that abuse of power abuse of power um but yeah uh seeing all of that and sort of seeing the reaction on social media and even internalizing that pain myself it just sort of hit me and I was like I need to do something I have to do something mm. um and that's when my writing sort of took place I I feel yeah the the murder of George Floyd sparked my own anti-racism journey and I guess it's you know it's new I guess it's new for a black woman to say that you know a year ago my my journey sort of started then really but that is the case it, it began there and I've never looked back and yeah, I'm, I'm very proud to, to sort of stand here and or sit here and, and um, have the ability to sort of do that, the privilege to sort of say what I want to say and um, make a difference in, in the greater discourse of racism and, you know, police brutality and what we can do to be an anti-racist society. Yeah. Do you think that um, the murder of George, like after that, did it awaken people, like everyone? I'm talking like people, governments, everything. Did it awaken people? Yeah. Hmm. Yes and no. So I say that purely because, yes, because it has, in my opinion, the murder of George Floyd has absolutely shifted the discourse of racism as we know it. Um, yeah, as, as we've ever known it, in fact. Um, I feel that even things like corporations and procedure and, and processes that, you know... Um, you know, companies take, for instance, in terms of, you know, representation across their staff, representation um, in their products, representation in, you know, their media, their outreach. Um, I feel that there's been a change. Of course, I'm not here saying that all of that is, you know, genuine because we've seen now a year since that some of it is has been tokenistic. Some of that has yeah. been performative. Um, but I do think as well that it has also... Um, sparked conversation because mm. we're sat here today talking about it. Yeah. But also... Now I feel that everything regarding race is looked at with sort of a, a very close lens now. It's it's not an afterthought in conversation. It's now yeah. the forefront of conversation. Whether you agree that there is racism, racism does exist, by the way. Whether you do agree that racism exists, whether you disagree, the fact of the matter is, is that that conversation has been put on the table. Um, and I even want to say now that even in this conversation, I can't even cover the breadth of what race or racism is. It's an ongoing yeah. conversation. It's an ongoing journey um, that will take a lot of time and resource and energy to even get to the bottom of. Yeah. Um, do you think that there, are, there will ever be an end? Oh, oh I could feel that question coming. Yeah. Um, I feel like I. You kind of wish, I like, as, like hope, you hope you hope there is. I hope, I ideally, I would hope that there is an end. I don't know. I really don't know. I, I think, I think the year in the UK that we've had, um, in you know, uh, relation or as a end product of what's happened with our conversation or with our attitudes to race, I think have been quite. Um, oh gosh, what is even the right word for it? I guess engaging 
not even engaging. I think in the UK there's, what am I even trying to say? What is Chantal trying to say? What are you trying to say? I don't know. Hold on. I know what I'm trying to say. Um, I feel that the year that we've had in the UK has been quite transformative in the discussion of racism. And um, there's some step, there's some sense of, no, there's resistance, but there's some sense of, okay, what can we do about this? Mm. Um, Which I think is a a great first step to take. Do I think that there's a general consensus that there, you know, there's an agreement to want to change the system that we currently have? No, I don't think that's there yet. Um, And that's, this is me talking about the UK primarily, was not even covering the rest of the world and, you know, their own culture, their own societies, their own, you know, institutions and justice systems and uh, their own cultures even. So um, will we ever get to a society where it's fully anti-racist? I don't know. I really don't know. It's a journey, like I said, so we'll all have to sort of find out. Yeah, well said. Um, You've been doing a lot on your social media. Yes. Instagram, yes, mainly. Uh, <laughs> I've got your Instagram here. Yes, you've got you've got a series called Blacktivism. Yes, it's got four volumes. Yes, and um, I'm going to read a bit if you don't mind. Go, for, go for it. Um, so this is an open letter to the oppressor. This is all. This is all her writing, by the way. This is all Chantel. <laughs> open letter to the oppressor, the what was that, sorry? the ignorant and the indifferent. I'm just going to like scan through it. No problem. So this is all. This is all. From you, yeah. Yeah, so, um, gosh, that was a really emotive piece. Mm. I remember, oh gosh, the other day, I've, June. Yeah. yeah, so that was literally... I've, I've read it already and like I can just feel like your passion in it. Thank you. I mean, it was more anger and sadness, but I see. that was literally, oh my goodness, six days. 60 weeks, is that 60 weeks ago? 60 yeah. weeks ago, but it was six days after the murder of George Floyd. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, it was pretty pretty um emotive um and yeah i mean francesco will read yeah. um, some of it for you okay so um you have tried to silence me and my people from the earliest record of history until now the lives of billions of families have been generationally impacted by the action of your forefathers children as young as four are able to recall their first racist encounter before the tooth fairy arrives that is amazing oh, we like that piece of writing that before the tooth fairy arrives and that's obviously it's just tragic, isn't it? It is. Uh, as young as four. Is, it, is that something personally, as young as four? Is that something you've read? It, it's, it's personal to me. So mm. it's, it's someone close to me um, that unfortunately had um, a four-year-old experience um, racism. And um, I guess, you know, it was a really fancy way of putting it forward that racism, first and foremost, is, is disgusting mm. and its impacts those who are affected by racism the impacts are completely harrowing and it's just sad that a child before you know they even children are innocent you know they have the two threads look forward to they have christmas they have snow white all the tools and everything and to think that that's one of their most earliest memories not the tooth fairy coming along and giving them five quid for losing a tooth it's someone called me this someone released to me in that way and that really struck me because it's it's for me it's i think the reason why i'm so vocal is because i just always think why why does that have to happen? Why is that the so reality for certain people? But, yeah. We'll carry on reading. Yes. Black men are the poster child of violence and black women are the poster child of abuse and beauty standards. Yet, although the black man and woman have been your model for all that is undesirable, you do not hesitate to take fragments of our rich and large culture to legislate as your own. So, 
that piece, um, so the first section, um, of course, is was me challenging the stereotypes that are attributed to black men, um, which I will not repeat. Um, the second part was also just sort of um, very loosely touching on um, the abuse um, that black women endure. Um, again, uh, as a black woman, um, it very much resonates with myself and to sort of experience microaggressions and, you know, multiple forms of abuse, you know, psychological, emotional, um, unfortunately for some people, physical abuse for the sake of their skin colour, you know. Um, and unfortunately there is a culture where black women to some extent are seen as scapegoat for said abuse. Black women are seen as able to take the, you know, these sort these forms of abuse. Um, and, you know, me saying that, um, you know, you're willing to take from our rich and large culture was me also hinting at cultural appropriation. The fact that, for instance, in the, you know, um, I guess stuff is changing, but uh, for quite some period of time, there was a thought process that, you know, having box braids in the office was unprofessional. Having, you know, um, Afrocentric hairstyles is unprofessional. You know, having a black woman articulate herself in a way that is very, you know, you know, for just in a way that anyone would educate, anyone that would articulate themselves, you know, um, it, it was seen as, you know, either aggressive, um, uh, gosh, too impassioned, violent. Um, it, it felt that any form of self-expression that a black person would have would always be um, justified or always be shut down with, well, you, you can't have that because that, again, is aggressive. So it's, it's another form of repression. And in having cultural appropriation, it's, it's taking from a set culture and then ad- adopting it as your own without even acknowledging the roots and where it comes from. And you know, in reference to the box braids, that being unprofessional in a work setting, but then seeing it on runways is complete on, you know, white models is is something that, you know, used to really irritate me. Seeing, you know, language, for instance, uh, being taken um, and completely shifted to completely use its meaning is another thing that really sort of bothers me in in the discourse of cultural appropriation also. Yeah, very well said. Um, While we're on social media, I just wanted to say... Did you watch the Euros? I'm guessing you watched the Euros. I did watch yeah. the Euros. To some extent, I'm not a football fan. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, mean <laughs> it was going. It was so. It was going so well. Yeah. I mean, it's like yeah, oh, it happens all the time with football. Everyone comes together. Yeah. It's all love and peace, and then right at the end, three black players miss a penalty, and then boom. Yeah. Um. Gosh. Yeah, that was a lot. So. Um, yeah, the Euros for me, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a football fan. So I guess when Ingl- England, mm. sorry, gosh, my words, when England started to, you know, progress, of course, I was naturally like, oh my God, okay, maybe, you know, okay. Maybe it's coming home. Maybe it's, co- maybe it's coming home. Yeah. Um, and then it came to the final, obviously, even before I get to that, mm. um, you know, in in England's progression throughout the Euros, I, I, saw, I saw a sense of community. I saw like, wow, you know. In the UK, there seems to be a temporal sense of, you know, equality, unity, mm. you know. Reg- when I was walking through my area and where I live in London, you know, seeing, you know, the typical football fans like hugging and singing along and dancing with people that were yeah. non-white was completely like, you know, sh- you know, shocking, but also quite comforting to see. Mm. Um, yeah, I just want to say that I stand... I stand powerfully with um, Bukaya Saka, uh, Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford. Um, but yeah, so, you know, watching those penalties live, of course it was a tense moment for the entire country, you know, like it was, as everyone said, the biggest football game mm. um, in England for how many years? Um, but to, yeah, but to see 
of course, one thing I, I, I wrote a piece actually about this. Um, and um, one thing that I picked up on is that the first thing that was mentioned was their race. Before the third penalty was missed, I, I already knew that something was going to come out from it. I, the minute that we'd lost the third penalty, I, I just knew that it was going to be an increase in absolute, you know, racist barrage. Um, you knew, you knew watching it. I knew watching like, it, yeah. and that's that's the sad irony. There was just a yeah, that it's it's come back again. That sense of community, that sense of unity that we thought we had or that we thought we'd progressed to was completely temporal, and it, it sort of showed to me that racism in the UK is is quite rife and rampant and mm. to not name any particular figureheads but to um have certain people um condemn uh acts of racism when they were the aggressor and perpetuator of racist um ideals and beliefs and cultures that we inhabit or that we have in this country i, I think was quite shocking um, and quite, um, I guess, counterproductive to the impact that had already ensued or that had already uh, taken, um, you know, place in lieu of what's happened over the past year in the discourse. But um, yeah, the Euros, yeah, mm. yeah. That is, I don't really have much to say yeah. from that. It was just shocking. Um, yeah. So you would have seen like everything that, that happened I over social it. media. Did you see about um, the Portsmouth Academy players? Did you see that one? No, I did not. So I, I used to do the social media for... Portsmouth Academy. Mm. So I got to know some of the players quite wow. well, the under 18s. And um, I was disgusted to see that in their Snapchat group chat, um, straight after, you know, England had lost the final, they were just monkey emojis, yeah. N word. Yeah. They were just. Everything. Not, like, no filter on anything yeah. at all, um, just boom, boom, boom. Sun. And they yeah. have black, young black players in that team as well. Yeah. In that In that group chat. Yeah. And it, I hope, yeah. I just hope they get named. Yeah. I just, I'm waiting for Twitter to be like, boom. Yeah. It's, it's just. It's Unless just, they have, I'm, I'm not sure if they have already, but. It's just disgusting. It's, it's, it's the culture where, because of white privilege, they're able to act in a certain way where they can racially abuse as much as they please with certain, you know, races and demographics. And they know that because of their privilege, they can more or less get away with that. But thankfully, I, I believe that we are coming into a culture of, I call it social justice or social media justice, where, um, you know, you see on, um, you know, if someone is saying something or someone's filmed doing a racist act um, and it's put on social media, for instance, within 24 hours, there's action, um, which I think speaks for itself. Um, and one thing that I do want to put out is um, with these, with even with me witnessing this, you know, constant barrage of racial abuse, you know, these players may not see it, but your colleague, but your friend, but your family member, but your neighbour, but your colleague will see these words and thoughts and your frustrations at a football trophy not coming home really on social so media. Just, you know? just childish and just... It's, it's childish. We could go on all day yeah. <laughs> about this, but um, yeah. While we're on social media... Yes. We're going to just... I was trying to keep it like a plan of what to talk about when, but we're yes. just going to... It's all no, going to blow go. up. Free flow. Um, the fact that it happens so much, like, it, you know, you've got the positive sides of social media, yeah. like sharing everything, the BLM protests, everything, yeah. come here, you know, people linking up, great. Yeah. But then the negatives just completely, yeah. like, overtake that. It does, it does sometimes, it really does. Um, you know, social media, I think, is probably one of the biggest assets to our current generation, you know. Um, to some extent, it's a news source for some people, including myself. Um, and 
you know, like you said, the negatives of social media, the fact that, you know, um, well, yeah, how images and videos can be reshared over and over and over and over again. So for instance, with the George Floyd murder, having that video recirculated millions of times, seeing it pop up in various locations, I could mute the word, you know, the hashtag, um, you know, Derek Chauvin if I didn't want to see his face, but I would still see that horrific image. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and I guess another negative impact of social media is that, you know, there are bot accounts. There are people that like to troll, that like yes. to take advantage of the fact that there is a discourse. And I just, every time I see like this conversation happening on yeah. social media, on people, on podcasts, whatever, it always comes down to, um, oh, why don't they... You know, ask for like identification. Yeah. For for every account that you make, you can yeah. make you can make more than one account, or whatever. But always, you have to verify your ID. Um, and if you ever, you know, if someone, you'll just get caught straight yeah. away. Report the comment. Boom, got their ID. Yeah, they're done. Yeah. Unless you get a well, fucking fine as well. Mm, 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 but mm. it always comes down to oh, but Instagram. You know, they'll they'll lose. They'll miss out on so many people joining mm. basically comes down to profit and stuff like that and it's like why are, yeah. we, why are we putting these social media platforms their money yeah before people getting racially abused so i actually disagree with the use of um id um as id being used as part of the registration pro- process on social media purely because i believe that it opens uh, up a lot more room for a lot more unconscious bias um i think it's also counterproductive because it also alienates the individual from their own autonomy and i guess the carefree nature that comes with using social media but obviously with the abuse of power then you have to find a way to sort of Mm. i don't like to use the word police but to police you know um behavior that is on social media um a study that i um, looked at uh, which looked at like facial recognition technology um it saw that it actually recognized white american faces a lot more clearer than actual afrocentric or um, african-american features on camera which of course would be a, a big identifier if you're having photographic id um used so i yeah that's one reason for myself as to why i think that's also you know quite counterproductive and also um you know, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, that's about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about let's talk about school. Yes. Let's go back a bit to school yes. time. Um, big up Neverhall. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after the George Floyd um, murder, yeah. and you know when the BLM you know like blew up. Yes. There was things going around like um, oh, what's the word? What's the word? Not you know. Um, Racism, but they don't mean it. What's the word? Like un, like when you're being unconsciously like racist. Like uh, unconscious bias. Um, yeah, yeah. What like, do you mean? Like the quotes, um, quote unquote. I'm not racist, but things like oh, that. Oh, devil's advocate. Okay. Okay, yeah. I think yeah. you mean like devil's advocate or just or justification. Really, there we go. Yeah. Justification. Justica- yeah, yeah, there yeah. we we found it. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Justification yeah. for like to sort of dispel the conversation yeah, yeah. racism. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's it's justification. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. So, sorry. Back to school. So, um, in school, the thing is with my anti-racism journey starting about a year ago, um, I wasn't really, ashamedly, I wasn't really aware of my blackness in secondary school. Um. However, there was I did have an experience where there was someone that I really liked, um, in secondary school, and they didn't like me, which was fair enough. Of course, life happens. However, they they went every time they saw me, they went through the effort of 
literally calling me to my face derogatory slurs, terms. Um, again, I'm not going to repeat them, but again, because I wasn't aware of the significance of that language at the time, it, it was normal to me. And again, once I stepped, obviously coming out of school and during my you know learning journey and process, um, once I understood those terms and understood the gravity of what was actually going on, which was race, racism, um, it sort of, you know, struck me back. I sort of ended up going into, I feel guilty. Why did I not know in the first place? Why didn't I call it out? Why didn't I, you know, report it or do something about it? Um, and I guess that is, those are the questions that even go through people's minds every single time they experience racism. Why didn't I do something? Because one thing that isn't really, uh, one thing that I have noticed that tends to be quite disregarded is the impact of racism. And of course, if you're someone that doesn't experience racism, it is going to be difficult to be able to understand or empathise with someone that experiences that. But as someone that is black and someone that's proudly black, um, uh, you know, to experience racism again, how can I even phrase it? It's 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 it just it's horrible to be completely and utterly disregarded or to be abused for my very existence, for my very being. I didn't pick my skin color. I love it, I cherish it, but I didn't pick it. So therefore, why do you feel entitled to penalize me, to scrutinize me, to be prejudiced against me, to, you know, cause harm, you know, and the impacts can be lasting. One thing I noticed, sorry, I'm on a tangent here, but another thing that I, I sort of, picked up from the George Floyd murder. And again, I want to reiterate that the George Floyd murder is not the only, you know, um, it's not the only horrible incident of racism. It's not the only consequence of racism. There have been several that have died after him, that several that have died before him. You know, there are people that are unfortunately are dying now or that, and that are still, you know, dying for the, um, from the impact of racism. And again, racism in itself is so broad. I, I don't even think I could even, cover the the breadth or the impact of it in this yeah. in this hour that we have together um but anyways back to my main point one thing that i noticed was that um the impact of racism is felt across generations because whether you knew well whether you knew about george floyd or not there was always someone that was able to identify with another uh, you know, incident, you know, for instance, the story of Rodney King, um, severe, severe police brutality. It was filmed as well. However, those officers went scot-free, you know, um, another one, gosh, um, the story of Mark Duggan, you know, um, again, another instance of police brutality to its extreme form. Um, and again, people are able to identify, you know, the pain of racism goes beyond even current current times oh i shut the table sorry um current times you know um if we're going to talk about the origins we're talking about colonialism slavery so um yeah it's it's, it's just a shame it's it's just it's horrible and it's 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 annoying but again like i said before i feel like we are really making a change and i, I really genuinely believe that you know the fact that people are questioning it the fact that people get pissed off at it the, the fact that people the try police, to find well, the police are doing such a shit job I've got. I've. Was it last? It was. It was recently, just after the George Floyd. Yeah. Um, murder. I was in Portsmouth with my friends, mm-hmm. and um, there's a police officer walking past us, and I, yeah. I go, I go. 
Yeah, I know. Not good. No, I'm sorry. It's n- what? What's your opinion on that? It's bad. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Okay, but let me carry on. No, no, no. Finish. So I say it really quietly because I'm not going to say it loud because I'm, a, I'm a fucking, <laughs> yeah, I'm a pussy. My mate next to me, black, mm. my black mate, he goes <laughs> really loud. Police officer turned around. He's like, "You mate, uh, come here." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah what?" Um, and he goes, "How would you like it if I started spatting off about the BLM movement?" And I was, I just, I was like, Whoa. you're comparing yourself, right? You're not a pig. So there you go. You, you know, you're not a pig. Yeah. It's just a stupid little game that we do. Mm-hmm. But you're comparing being called a pig, which you know you're not, to a to Black Lives Matter movement that was recently sparked I'd, on I'd, the de- by a police officer, by the way. Yeah, that's that's what I was about to say. And he went, yeah. he went red in the face. He didn't know what to say, and his mate was behind him, like. Mm. And you called that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. So yeah, carry on before I even. I mean, get yeah, shouldn't call. Don't, don't call. Don't don't call them pigs. It's don't not nice, that. isn't it? But you can have your opinion. But his but reaction. Do you don't yeah, the reaction. I will never. Yeah, the reaction is yeah, and like you said, justly the fact that that person felt the need to compare it to the Black Lives Matter movement, which was which actually started in 2013 after the unjust murder of Trayvon Martin by Officer George Zimmerman. It was after his acquittal that that movement completely began in the US and has completely taken over the world, and I love it. But to use that and the sentiment behind that as a response to a sound, to my understanding, has no racial connotations, no associations to pain or, uh, you know, police brutality or wanting to seek equality, um, no, equity, um, and, um, you know, justly live, have the right to live. I I think it's completely insane. And I think it reflects, actually, some of the attitudes that are here in the UK when it comes to racism. And, yeah, and the police, the attitudes of the police. Like, he was so sour. En- enough uh, yeah. sour enough to to, to, to say that, that to say that to a black man I think is completely you know horrible and you know for instance um, the fact that um, in a study between 2019 to 2020 out of a thousand people in the UK only six white people um, would be uh, stop and searched in comparison to 54 uh, black people um, being uh, stopped and searched by the police um, again it's that's just one example of a statistic that doesn't even cover the breadth of um, the impact of um, you know institutional racism. Um, again, that is a that could go on for hours and hours in terms of discussion. But um, another example um, I want to use um, in terms of that I felt sort of reflected the attitudes um, at the time of um, law enforcement was during the Black Lives Matter protests. So um, one thing that I like to say when it comes to anti-racism is to protest peacefully um i think that your voice your voice is this the strongest thing the strongest asset that you have to you know challenging the system that we have as we know it um but anyway so um i was at the protest in june so again after the murder of george floyd and that really sparked um a lot of dis- discussion in the uk um, and it's also uh, one of the influences behind the current policing bill that is trying to be pushed in the uk to silence our right to protest but i won't go on to that so um during the protests um i noticed a lot of heavy police presence um I guess you could argue a lot of people there, a lot of police officers. Is this London? The London police, the London, sorry, Black Lives Matter protests. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing I noticed is that the atmosphere was very, very tense. 
very very tense and um and, and rightly so we're, we're talking about the murder of a black man under police custody of course it's going to be tense um however um it was it was a completely completely peaceful protest very respectful um i will say until a certain moment where um someone actually threw a flare um, into Downing Street, which I don't agree with at all. No matter how you feel about the current government, I just don't think it's it's right to do that. Um, obviously, myself and the people that I was protesting with, we we saw already what was going to happen, so we decided to you know remove ourselves from the situation. Okay. We saw what was coming before we could even turn around and take a step to even move. There was literally, um, gosh, it's yeah, literally, um, it was the road by um, gosh, is it Mar- not Marble Arch? Um, Trafalgar Square, there we go vans, literally riot vans pa- parked up squared us in, police horses rammed in the front of them they didn't They didn't usher the horses in they charged them into us and of course complete oh, and utter panic, complete and utter panic complete and utter sheer just fear really, they had closed down neighbouring stations as well to sort of like um, corner people in, um, I remember there was a lot of um, anger as well around the time but i guess that handling of of the black lives matter protests versus the um there was a protest actually the week after it was um it was actually led by um tommy robinson um i remember that yeah that protest when and conversely it's on my um blacktivism uh highlight highlight actually um the police the level of policing at that event compared to the lives matter protest was sec- was completely like yeah. different. There were no horses from what I could see on the footage that was being shared on social media. There was no s- excess use of force, which is what was done at the Black Lives Matter protest. In fact, some of the people that were um, at the um, alternative counter protest or whatever you want to call that, wasn't a peaceful protest, it was just hooliganism. Um, is that even a word? I'm making it a word. Um, it was just completely shocking. And again, that is another image or another example of how you know, attitudes in, you know, institutions that were meant to see as carriers of justice, carriers of, you know, safety um, is completely abused. Yeah. But that's again, you know, you could you could really, really go into detail again, but yeah. yeah. So obviously social media is a big tool to use to yes. spread awareness. Yes. Um, as you like, has been happening over the past year. Yes. Um, what would you say to, because I know like even myself, sometimes you're a bit, um, what's the word wary yeah, of, what, of what you want to yeah. share you want to you know you want to really Cautious, understand what it is yeah. you're sharing you don't want to just oh share that share that yeah. you might share the wrong thing what would you say to people that are on social media platforms mm-hmm. what can they do to help okay um, so um, first things first in order to be against racism you have to be anti-racist not non-racist, not I'm not racist, because I, I believe that term is quite, um, allows for neutrality, it allows for, um, it just, it, it's, it's quite a lame excuse, it's quite a lame way of holding yourself accountable to being anti-racist, but um, yeah, my point being is that you need to be anti-racist, and in being anti-racist, it is to explicitly stand against the, you know, racism as a, as a construct, um, and to also, one, um, if you are someone that does not experience racism, to be a compassionate and proactive um, ally, uh, not a tokenistic one, but a proactive ally, two, um, to demonstrate 
compassionate curiosity. So if you don't know um, and you're speaking to your friend that is, you know, black, Asian, um, you know, uh, indigenous, um, any other ethnic minority, you know, if you are speaking to someone you want to sort of get to know, uh, you know, exercising compassionate curiosity is one way of doing that. Um, another way to be anti-racist um, gosh is calling it out if you see racism whether it's on social media whether it's in real life call it out of course people may be uncomfortable but the conversation and the experience of racism is uncomfortable so um yeah calling it out and also um self-awareness to be able to look into yourself and look at your own personal biases and look at how they shape your way of thinking and you know see okay how can i change that um but finally also empathy um like i've mentioned already several times now the impact of racism in itself is devastating um to say the least so to be able to you know if you if you again don't experience racism to be able to look at someone and say i'm sorry but how can i help you or how can i you know um make this situation better for you and um, it's a great way to start uh, on social media one thing i would say is to um, have credible sources so make sure that you are really vetting uh the profile that you're looking at if you're looking at a particular profile uh, maybe even to the extent of who they follow um that you know what they post always fact check as well um i believe even without social media, that the way that we can dispel racism is through education. Um, education and knowledge are the biggest, and language are the biggest tools and biggest assets to dispelling racism. So um, yeah, educate yourself. Um, you've, I'm sure you've heard that phrase several times, but educate yourself. It's it's so so True. so important. Read, listen to podcasts. This is what we're doing. You know, this is why you know, idea. listen to this podcast. Chum chat. <laughs> exactly. um, you know, uh, you know, speak to someone, talk to someone about things, but. Um, yeah so back onto my what i was saying so um you know the post that you're looking at if you if you're unsure you can always fact check it fact checking is i think is a really really good way of seeing um where you know the proactive allyship is from the it distinguishes the proactive allyship from the performative allyship um one person that i would recommend solely um and I, I, I love this person's work. I think they are absolutely incredible and that they are a force um, in the discourse of racism in the UK. Um, I think she's, yeah, absolutely insane. And I I hold her actually as one of my biggest inspirations as to why I write now. Um, Kalechi Okafor, I'm shouting you out. I am manifesting that collaboration. It's going to happen. Let's let's work well, together. Well, let's have, let's have a conversation. Let's have a chat, a podcast, whatever. Yeah. Yes, but um, yeah, Kalechi Okafor. Um, I believe she goes by the name of um, Kalechnikov. Um, I will get Francesco to put the um, at there. Um, great, great activism. Um, she's very direct. She's uh, She says it how it is. Um, very unafraid, and I love that. And I think with anti-racism, you need to be unafraid to do that. Um, on social media, what else can you do to um, sort of uh, educate yourself? Um I would say as well, um, if you do see images of trauma, of black trauma, black violence, to completely um, to disengage from it, I just I just think it's it's damaging. You know, I think it can, like I said, to have those images completely and utterly um, repeated over and over again or shared over and over again, I think is not really right and is also quite you know damaging to the psyche. I think to some extent it desensitizes the individual from the actual event that takes place. Um, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I would say from yeah. what I can think of in terms I, yeah. of... Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that, but definitely go out there and follow, you know, people that are educating constantly because yeah. that's what helped me. Yeah. You know, like, just 
yeah learning like different things oh that yeah i didn't notice that before yeah now i know just yeah. follow as many as many accounts people that you can listen to podcasts like this and yeah i'm trying to think of who else i would recommend to um follow um yeah i'd say just get out there i say get out there another book uh, sorry a couple of books that i would actually recommend um would be um how to be anti-racist by ibram um x kendi um another book i would also um recommend is um why i'm not talking to white people about race by rennie edo lodge um again it's, it's quite a good book to pick up if you're you know unfamiliar about the discourse of race and if you want to sort of get yourself picked up and, and up to speed with it um that's what i can think of so far um in terms of profiles but um yeah yeah that's what i would say just start there really just get out there have conversations there, with people friends family and if you're unsure it's it's okay to ask i you know um of course in the conversation of racism you know um people are sort of i've noticed that some people are afraid to talk about it because they're scared of getting things wrong yeah one thing i like to say is that you know to some extent it's okay to get things wrong as long as you're willing to correct yourself and yeah. make the difference and make the change you have to be willing to put your hands up and go yeah, yeah. you have My to bad. look at yourself i'm sorry yeah. and then move on yeah challenge yourself and then we can get things moving forward kind of thing mm. um so if you do get something wrong and someone calls you out for it accept it it is a learning process um you know in being in having the uk hopefully being an anti-racist country and having anti-race in being anti-racist sorry um you need to be able to really reflect inwards um in yourself again process um really evaluate yourself your ideals and how you affect your community again we are individual however we do belong to families communities um you know systems we all are a contribution to the schism that is life as we know it um so yeah just get yourself out there really have conversations um it's okay to get things wrong um um, again to get things wrong does not exclude or does not excuse sorry the use of derogatory term or slurs or non-inclusive language i'm not talking about that i'm talking about if you're unsure of a particular you know phrase why certain things you know why you know white privilege is a thing why racism is a thing why you know um why race as a social construct is a thing you know um so yeah yeah um like i said from the beginning you're always amazing to talk to oh bless you um, thank you yeah We'll get you on here again this can't be the, this can't be the only time this can't be the <laughs> one and so only much. is there anything else you want to cover yourself i think it'd be quite um useful to sort of cover like or to sort of uh, begin because i again i can't answer this in an hour but um to sort of very l- briefly cover racism and what it is and yeah. why we're here really so racism is the systemic subordination of um of a, a race a racial group um and again, in the systemic subordination um, of a racial group that includes, you know, uh, systems of prejudice, discrimination, um, you know, uh, abuse, non-inclusive behaviours, you name it. Um, in racism, there are four levels. So there is the personal level, which is where it's your own internalised beliefs, your own belief system. So it's where you develop, you know, um, your feelings of superiority. Uh, inferior so you know who you assign your inferiority to Mm -hmm. uh, things of inclusion and exclusion as well so how you think and how you what you associate to those certain principles is your personal like is what we call personal racism Mm -hmm. interpersonal racism is where you is racism but 
is between yourself and another person or another group of people. Okay. So that's where stereotypes come in. That's where unconscious bias comes in because you're now acting upon your personal beliefs, which yeah. is the first level, on another person. You're now taking that out on another individual. Okay. Um, which again, um, I think it's really horrible. It, it, interpersonal racism is where bigotry comes in. It's it, you know, it's it's where ignorance you know sort of takes and again racism is ignorance in its anyways it's ignorance full stop but you you sort of see that the third level is um institutional so it's where um you know systems like the justice the justice gosh if i could talk the justice system uh for instance healthcare education any institutional body of government as government or um society uh, as you know it's um it's where you know uh all of that is influenced by racism to again disadvantage a particular ethnic minority or minorities um, and it's also built to benefit um you know non-white uh, ethnic groups so it's why uh, like we mentioned earlier it's why for instance with stop and searches um you know that disproportionality you know takes place um it's why you know um and unfortunately, I hate that it's that's why, but it's the reality. It's why black women are four times likely to die from childbirth. You know, it's it's. Anyways, before I even get off topic, um, and the last um, level is systemic racism. So that is, if you want to talk, if you want to look at it as like a, uh, as like a visual thing, it is the overarching theme of of these four levels. So this is more or less. Um, the system mm-hmm. which is which was built from colonialism slavery um if i can sort of get this right um you know it's generational patterns that have um, been put in place it's embedded it's what is you know what i mentioned about going through generations and yeah. uh, cultures it's it's what we know um yeah so um those are the four levels of racism of course within that you have different you know caveats so for instance microaggressions uh which is uh, you know uh acts of aggression that you know unless you're affected by it or unless you are sort of aware aren't sort of picked up on so for instance um can i touch your hair if you have natural hair can i touch your hair as a microaggression um actually no not asking touching someone's hair without permission is is like is a microaggression there we go there we go touching someone's hair without asking is a microaggression um assuming so stereotypes is is you know is racism but again another form of microaggression um but yeah there's that also to cover as well um so another thing that i want to sort of uh, very briefly mention uh, when it comes to racism mm-hmm. um, and microaggressions yeah. um is also um the fact that racism isn't just the use of derogatory language mm-hmm. you know i think a lot of people sort of misconstrue that as the that you know if i didn't call you this then it's i'm yeah. not racist mm-hmm. you know um being colorblind is a form of racism because you're not acknowledging you know someone's identity my skin color is who i am you know mm-hmm. um so for someone to say that's why when people say being colorblind is not good enough um colorblind is again not see that you know not seeing someone's race or um you know you may hear oh i don't see color that is comp- that's not okay yeah, yeah. because you're one you're dispelling someone's identity completely mm-hmm. um it also shows that you don't see them as an individual yeah. at all which again is is not right or it's fair makes, it's what makes, someone it's what makes us us it's what makes me a black woman um but also again it's what i mentioned about the non-racist it's another point of neutrality it, it's another a way of dodging accountability and and dodging um 
a way of actually confronting the thing that is racism Mm -hmm. so white privilege is one thing that i do want to sort of mention before we close off today is like a little thinking point or a, a talking point really um white privilege is um is the reality or um is it's not even a concept but it's it's where it's the realization of systems that have been built to advantage white people. So it's it's why you may hear a lot about um, CVs. If you look at CVs, if you yeah. see like a, a, a Caucasian or white sounding name over an African or an Asian name, they're more likely to pick you know the white name. Mm-hmm. It's why you know. Um, in your story it's why where when you walked past the officer and made that noise mm-hmm. he didn't turn to you but when your black friend did mm-hmm. he turned to that um to, to him yeah. um so white privilege when we say white privilege it's it's a fact it's 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 a reality it's what we live in um you know white privilege i guess would be um the fact that george floyd's murderer Derek Chauvin, only got 22 and a half years rather than the full 40 for manslaughter um you know, and one thing that I've sort of noticed with the conversation of, uh, you know, white privilege is that um, one of the first instances is um, defensiveness or why, why? If you're saying I've got white privilege and you're mm. racist. Yeah. No, that doesn't exist. Your defensiveness is actually a uh, result of your fragility. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing in the discourse of racism, which is very important, is as a black person, as an ethnic minority, it is not my job to make you feel good. Mm. You know, if you're defensive at the mention of your apparent privilege imagine us experiencing the racism Mm -hmm. if if us wanting to dispel racism if if us wanting to make a a societal difference bothers you Mm -hmm. that one makes me aware that you're aware of your privilege and the fact that you don't want that to change Mm -hmm. and that because your white privilege benefits you why do you want to see a societal change that allows everyone to be equal why why is it a problem for you to see others you know enjoy the same life not the same life but enjoy you know the the ability to walk alone at night the ability to not have to worry about being stopped yeah. and searched the ability to not have to be followed around a shop um you know uh, when you're minding your business the ability to not have someone racially abuse you if you don't yeah. score a penalty do you know what i mean yeah. so um there's so much that goes there but um yeah the defensiveness against white privilege is called white fragility but with white privilege um you know it's one thing that i think needs to be really important here is to also you know if if you are white to accept that you have white privilege um you know um uh, Rennie Edo Lodge says this really well she mentioned this in a podcast that I listened to the other day that um the general assumption is that when you accept your white privilege that they believe that they are racist mm. which may you know I'm not saying that all white people are racist that's not the case um but the ca- the point being here is that you need to actually accept it and then also see how you can use your privilege mm. to make sure that there is an equitable and diverse space for everybody to you know have their right to, to you know to live Absolutely. freely and um again another image that um, you know, Rennie Edo Lodge uses mm. is, um, you know, uh, I guess talking about, you know, what, what we mean when we say, you know, equality, equity mm-hmm. is, um, you know, the illustration of stairs. So, for example, myself as an able bodied individual. I can walk up some stairs. I can walk up some stairs. Whereas, if someone that is, you know, disabled and is a wheelchair user that may have to use the exact same stairs, that they don't have that level of privilege. Whereas I do because I can use those stairs. Yeah. Now, in saying that, with in having that privilege, if I can call it out, if I can question it and say, why are those stairs here? Why is there not, you know, um, accessibility for these people? Mm. You know, 
that's what we talk about when we talk about equity it's, it's questioning it's challenging it's also finding a way to make sure that we are all level yeah. um, but when you don't challenge it that's using your privilege and that's make, that's your awareness of your the benefit that you get from that yeah. so those are a couple of things that I sort of want to leave yeah. I guess as a, a cliffhanger for our next sort of conversation but yeah, um, yeah I thought it would be very useful to discuss what yeah. racism is before finishing off today and what white privilege is and yeah. stuff so yeah okay thank you oh thank you <laughs> For the fourth, fifth time, you're a brilliant speaker, and thank you. I love listening to you. Thank because, you so much. Yeah, you teach me things, you inspire me, and yeah, that's oh, why you're here. You. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Likewise. And we've got to get we've got to get you on again because there's so yeah. much I can tell that like for you, there's loads oh. that you want to talk about. There's so much. I, I yeah. You know I want to talk about there's loads. There's so, so much. We'll definitely get you back. Yeah. On thank again. you. I would love to. Yeah. There is so much to talk about when it comes about when it talk oh, there is so much to talk about when it comes to you know race racism how to be anti-racist and yeah um just i said this earlier but you know the journey the journey to being anti-racist is continuous you know there is no set solution you know if if we if we were in an anti-racist society we wouldn't be here having this conversation yeah. so um yeah um yeah there's so much i want to you know share with you guys talk about you know if you have any questions any queries if you're unsure in certain terms phrases um i'm sure francesca will pop my social media down for you but you're always welcome to drop me a message we can talk we can debate debate but let's not let's not debate what racism is though is and don't try and dispel racism being in actuality that's not what i'm here for but we can talk we can chat um yeah <laughs> um, i've got a little game just to end it off fab um it's called wrong answers only okay what? so i'll ask you a question and you have to give the wrong answer okay cool okay. is there any like prize for the game or is it just no, i don't even have that many questions i've got to come up with them myself um oh god it's okay <laughs> right question number one wrong answers only question number one would you date boris johnson I was like, no, you don't want to do that one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> is, is that, is that, That's... It's wrong answers only. So you say absolutely. <laughs> I can't, I can't even speak. That's how disgusted I am. Okay, we'll <laughs> yeah. Ab- oh, oh gosh, you people listening in that can't see this. Um, oh gosh, how can I be sarcastic over a podcast? Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> what? What do you think about me? I hate you. Why? Because I hate you. <laughs> why? Give me specific um, reason as to why you hate me. Gosh, um, because your plant isn't directly in the centre. Oh, I see. What is the capital of England? Wales. Oh God, Have you ever to been to Wales? No. Really? I have, I have. Sorry, is, How, is this still the we're same still game? Playing the oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, I have not. No. How old are you? Two. How many kids do you want? None. When do you want to get married? Tomorrow. To who? Myself. Self-love, people. Self-love. But what do you mean self-love? Because you said yourself, but you don't mean that. Oh fuck! Oh ah, shit! No! Nah, nah, no! Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> nah, I love I'm, I'm the winner. <laughs> okay, that's a good. That's a good way to end it. I like it. Yes, a few um, laughs. I'm t- way too close. That's gonna be loud. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Sorry about that. ASMR. Those are my critics for those who can't see. Can you do it in here? It's feeling a bit lonely.
Anyway, yeah. Uh, Chum Chat Podcast. I uh, hope you've enjoyed the first episode. wonder what you're doing while you've been listening. Maybe cleaning your room yeah. or... That's what I do. Clean oh, my room podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm quite boring. I like to make notes. Cooking. Ooh. I like to make notes, yeah. That's good, though. That's clever. Thank you. Because there's a lot you learn. Probably. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. Um, hope you had a good day. Hope you've eaten. Hope yeah. you've slept well. I hope you are on your journey to being anti-racist. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Tell someone you love them. Hug them. Yeah. My kids. Don't be a dick. Um, don't, be a dick. <laughs> don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. Be a hater. Subscribe. No, subscribe. Subscribe. Follow, Please subscribe. Follow, follow, subscribe, whatever. Just follow nice. the journey, man. Yeah. Follow the journey. Um... Yeah, if you did listening, leave it a little like. Yes. Leave it a little like. Yes. Leave a little like. Like, um, comment, subscribe, yeah. follow, share, share wide with your friends, family. Worldwide. Worldwide with your dog, with your cat. We're manifesting a oh. year from today. 100,000 subscribers on Chom Chat Podcast. And it's called, it's called The Power of Manifestation. And we're talking about global reach here. We're gonna we're, this time next year, yeah. We'll, we'll be having a hundred thousand subscriber party. We'll be having your fiftieth episode out. You'll be out there fully in your element. Um, he is the moment. Manifest, I need to get. I need to get on this manifestation. Yes. My girlfriend's always talking. I'm, I'm bad with it. You I need know. to positive thinking. Positivity. Yes. Anyway, uh, yeah. Thank you so pleasure. much. Pleasure. See you soon. And uh, follow, you. follow. You want, you want follow us? Yes, yeah, please. Follow. Um, so you will find... Oh gosh, I can't even... It's such an awkward username. But yes, you can follow me on Instagram. So I will spell it out for you if you can... Yeah, I'm so sorry. So it is underscore queen. Because uh, I, I am a queen. Underscore queen. And Francesca will pop it somewhere on the screen for you. C-H-X-5-N. So yeah, and then Y. So it's meant to be un- at queen... Fuck at underscore queen Shani. Yeah. Um, so you can find me on social media. Um, you'll be able to find um, the Blacktivism channel that I have there. Um, you know, um, yeah, you'll find that there. You'll have my, my you know, you'll see what I, I do every every now and then. And yeah, my writing will be on there as well. My writing is usually posted on those yeah, channels. Check out the articles. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But yeah. yeah. Ciao. Ciao, bye. bye. Subscribe. Chum chat. Bye. 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 Oh, that was so cute. That was a cute one.